Boy, it's just funny how things happen. And if you have a good memory, which I think I do, you can see how it ties things together. All the people I've talked to, all the connections I've made. So years ago, we're talking over 35 years ago now, when I moved up to Upper Michigan, I took a job as I moved from Mississippi back to Upper Michigan in a town called Escanaba, where I lived for a number of years, um, working at a radio station so I could be closer to my son who lived in Norway, Michigan. Now I think about what led me here and the decision I made to move back. You know, in every decision, we think there's a reason or maybe we're guided by friends, but maybe it's really spirit that's guiding us to be where we need to be. And I really think all the things that I've learned since I moved back to this area about so many different things that we've had as far as topics, as far as different programs. You know, we did the show, so many different shows. I met so many people that have kind of led me down a path of discovery. I wonder if that would have happened if I lived somewhere else. You know, part of it is I got to feel comfortable with my surroundings because my family was about 50 miles away. And I know what people are like, the Midwesterners that live up here. And generally it was just, you know, people were maybe a little more closed off to some things, but still were generally nice people that shared stories with you if you gave it a chance, if they learned to trust you. And for some reason, when I moved back up here, I was like a collector. I became this person who wanted to collect all these stories. Now, maybe not as much right away. So I think it was 1986 that I met this woman. She came to work for us at our front desk. And somebody had told me about her husband had been in a plane crash. You know, and it's like something just happened today that jolted me back to that time period. And made me wonder. So, as I recall, this woman, who was a very nice lady, worked our front desk. She might have been around my age or a little bit older than me. But she, her husband, I know remember one night I met her out at the bar. I didn't meet her there deliberately, but we ran into each other. We were having a drink, and she was telling me how her world fell apart because her husband died in a plane crash in 1981, and his name was Terry. And I'm not going to go into her name or their names. I, I want to give some privacy to that because I really haven't confirmed whether or not they'd want me to be talking about this. But it's funny how, you know, things take you in a direction that you don't even realize. So at the time, I wasn't as interested in searching for answers as I was maybe shortly after she left the radio station. I'd say somewhere in my late 20s is when I really developed this thirst so when I met her, I wasn't, yeah, and I was kind of like, oh, really? Yeah, you know how it is. You, you hear people out, you hear what they have to say, and I've always been considerate of others, but just didn't have the desire like I do now when everybody tells me something I really want to document it in my mind at least because you never know when it's going to be referenced. So this woman told me her story and that her husband, she believed what I came away thinking from that is that she believed that somehow he was still alive. That he had somehow survived this crash. Well, where would he be? Here's what happened. According to the research, that this man and two other people left what's called Washington Island, 
which actually is a part of Wisconsin. And as the crow flies, it's not that far from Escanaba, Michigan. And as I pull up the information on this story, because I remember I checked out the news events, um, it happened in December 1981. It was a Cessna 182 that uh, had disappeared with two others on board. The pilot, I believe the pilot, whose name was Terry, who was, aunt, who was the husband of the woman that I used to work with, he was 31. And the other two individuals, 28 and 35. So they started this big search, and they believe that it went down somewhere in between the lake on the Lake Michigan, which of course is a is a big lake. Now, as I go down, if I travel down to Cedar River, thirty miles south of here, I have friends that live on Lake Michigan. They have a beautiful spot, and we go down and visit them. You can see, look out and see Washington Island. It's that close, so it's really not that far away. It really is about a half hour ride with a Cessna to get from there to Escanaba, Michigan. Big search was was conducted. Nothing was ever found. Okay, but I do have his wife telling me that she felt somehow he was still alive. Didn't think much of it at the time. Felt bad for her. Years later, I started hearing about what's called the Michigan Triangle and how there are those that believe, not just the Michigan, but the Great Lakes Triangle, but there are those that have disappeared Without a trace, it's almost like a doorway has been opened up. And you know, and there's such a thing as the Bermuda Triangle, the Alaska Triangle. Over in Japan, near Japan, there supposedly is another mysterious place for a lot of things. And it could all be natural weather causes, or a lot of it. So, you forget about it, you know, those things. And, and I became open to the possibility that there really maybe was a doorway that opened up. And I thought about this could have, now this was after this woman had left the radio station and took another job. But I thought, well, maybe she's right. Maybe there was something that happened. Why would she feel that way, you know? So years later, I would say probably, hmm, 2010, I'm guessing. I don't always keep track of time, especially lately. It's like it flies by. But I do recall meeting this man by the name of Jeff. And he was uh, 20 years younger than me, I'd say, somewhere in that neighborhood at the time. And he had a wife and I think a young child. And it was at this event that was a kind of like a grand opening for a friend of mine who was a psychic and he had a little business that he was opening up and he was excited because he was renting office space. Maybe it wasn't 10 years ago. Maybe it was closer to seven. I don't know exactly. But I remember I met this guy and he told me, he had mentioned, at the time I didn't realize it, that his father had died in a plane crash along with a couple of other people. And I think he even mentioned Terry's name. And at the time, it didn't hit me until later I realized, wait a second, same last name as the woman I worked with. And she, the plane went down in 81. This is too much of a coincidence. We're in a small area. Planes don't go down that often. And I came to realize that that was connected to the same flight. 
the ill-fated flight that disappeared in 1981. And I, I think it was even during that event that, that we talked about this that I said, maybe a UFO was involved in it. I said, do you believe that's possible? He goes, I don't know. He says, I've heard people talk about seeing UFOs dive into Lake Michigan. I have friends that live down along the lake further south, and they've witnessed what they believe are, are ships going in the water. So it's kind of funny how we got on that topic. And then we talked some more, and I remember I told Jeff that I said, your father, if he's around you, he may come in the form of a bird, and often it's in the form of a cardinal. And I remember he was excited. He connected with me on Facebook, and then about a week later he told me, you know, we had a cardinal show up at our house, and we've never seen one. I wonder if this is related to what you said. I said, I don't know, but this is what I've heard repeatedly again and again and again. And it doesn't always have to be a cardinal. It could be anything. So was his father communicating with him, and was his father on the other side? Or was his father somehow still alive and stuck in a time warp or a space warp or whatever you want to call it? where I think some people wind up, as we've talked about on this show before, that there's like a doorway that these craft open, and if you get caught in it, you'll either perish or you'll wind up going somewhere else. I There's a big mystery about the Alaskan Triangle, which I watched the other night, and they talked about this plane that was a military plane that disappeared as if it almost, like it went into, vanished into nothing. And I know Alaska's pretty wide space, and it's hard to, you wouldn't see everything. I mean, there's just so much places where planes could, you know, wreckage would be hard to find. I recall they said that three planes went out looking for this, this plane, and it was a fairly good-sized plane that had, I think, 46 crew on board, including uh, military people. And... Three of those planes also crashed, but they all survived. Um, and they didn't know, the survivors said, we don't know what happened to our instruments, they just started going haywire. So maybe it's evidence of something else is going on. You know, how can you prove for sure? You know, the one person I've had on that really knows this is Bruce Gernon, because he lived through it. Bruce Gernon is from Miami, Florida, and he flew to Bermuda with his father and another man in the 1970s. I think it was 1975. And on the way back, he witnessed what he called a magnetic cloud that seemed to follow their plane. And he went into what he thought was a time-space vortex because it was hollow. And his plane, he could see it like the cloud would, became hollowed out and it was turning counterclockwise. And he saw that it was starting to close off. And he felt if he didn't get to the end of that before it closed off, he would not be alive. And he couldn't make the plane go any faster. He was in a Cessna as well, and they only go so fast. And so he made it out of there. And he thought he was supposed to be about 70 miles away from, from Miami because that was his last position. And they'd only been in this cloud for a few minutes. And when he got out of the cloud, he looked out, and they were over Miami, and the air traffic controller said, you guys are over Miami, you're not 70 miles out or whatever. So he concluded that for them to travel that fast, and he even 
use less gas on that flight than he normally would. And the time that it would normally take to travel that was shorter as well. It's like somehow he had been transported. But they estimated for him to travel that fast, he would have been having to go 3,200 miles an hour. And this research was done by a professor of mathematics in the University of Nebraska. And they said, you know, if you went that fast, your plane would have been shattered to pieces. There's no way that a little plane like that, I don't even know if our jets, can they go that fast? I don't think so. So it's all interesting, isn't it? I think so. So now we fast forward in time. And you just, these little things that happen, they kind of jar your memory. So I, the other day, I'm cutting a commercial with a guy I've known for quite a while. He used to be a local restaurant owner. His son now owns the restaurant. And we were in the studio producing an ad with another person from our uh, department that takes care of setting up the commercials, another woman that was with us. And we got on the conversation of UFOs, which I was surprised that this man brought this up. And he goes, and he started talking about, you know, this incident that happened to so-and-so back in 1981. I'm just going to say this. I think UFOs were involved. And I thought, where does he get that from? He goes, I was with the sheriff's department back then, and I really thought something to do with that. And I mentioned it to some people, and they looked at me really funny, like they were trying to keep it quiet or something. And people saw UFOs. I know they did. And, and so I thought, when he started bringing that up, at first I wasn't quite fully aware, and then I thought back. I haven't heard that name in a while about Terry. And then I said, I know who that is. And I said, I worked with his wife. And he goes, really? And I said, and he goes, well, the other guy's name that was there, I believe, was so-and-so. And I said, I think I know his son because somehow I've met both of these people. Now, what are the odds of that? And now I have a third person that's talking about it. Hmm. You know, I can't prove that, how do you prove any of this that's possible that maybe the, uh, but when people are thinking that way, it's like they're tapping into something. I can't say for sure that if this flight in 1981 somehow was involved with a UFO or, but for people to just bring that up like that out of curiosity, there've been a lot of UFOs that have been seen well, all over, really. But we've had many reports over the years. People have seen them over the lake. People, well-known people in our community, sheriffs and people like that. We've had several of them that were hovering in Marquette about 70 miles from here, 60 to 70 miles away. And the sheriff saw them. I read a report on, online about that. And then we've had the police talk about witnessing and others witnessing them in this general vicinity, and I've had many, 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 many people tell me their experiences and see that they have had incidents where they have either been taken or they've seen something close up and it scared the hell out of them. So, and then I myself have seen things as well. So we can go into that some other time because I've, relayed those stories more than once. But it really makes me wonder, 
And I guess since I have some psychics coming up in the future, maybe I'll ask them that question because it would be nice to know the answer. And why do people feel a certain way? Is it possible it's just coincidence or is it possible that we're sensing something more? And so when more than one person feels the way, I start to think that maybe it's possible that we are picking up on something. I don't know, it was just a fascinating thing. And it was just f for like 10 minutes, we sat here and talked in the studio as we were getting ready to produce. We actually did an ad. And after this ad was done, this person started talking about all these things. And I like to listen because you never know what you're going to hear. And then I interrupted him for just a brief moment to tell him, I know this person and I know that. And then I told him about some of the events that happened up here that people aren't aware of. The Kinross incident is probably the most famous incident, which I didn't know about till my buddy Art told me about it. But it's an incident that happened in 1952, I believe. Yeah, I think it was 1952. I always get this mixed up with the Flatwoods. I think the Flatwoods maybe is 52, and this was 53. One or the other. 53, there is a craft over the Lake Superior, which is picked up on radar, and there is a base out of Kinross, which is near Sault Ste. Marie in Upper Michigan, which is probably maybe 100 miles away, I would guess if you travel by air onto the lake and this jet was sent out to investigate and the jet, they had it on radar, they had both craft on radar and it, it almost appeared like the jet just disappeared and the other craft was still there. Like it either got destroyed or it got absorbed, which at the time <laughs> made me wonder when I interviewed a man by the name of Gord Heath who claimed that he knew more about this incident and he even claimed that he might have been the reincarnated pilot, Eugene Monkla. I know it's just a lot to grab onto. But when he told his story, which you can go back and listen to in my archives, it's like he knew everything that was going on. And so from his understanding of it, it's a fascinating story. But he did research on it because he was drawn to it at an early age. And I think, why are we drawn to anything, you know? Is there a connection to maybe that we, we lived during that time or we're tapping into something that's telling us? There's many reasons. It could be many reasons. But Gord Heath, I interviewed him a while back, and he told me about how he was drawn to this, the story of Eugene Monkla. And Robert, uh, what was his last name? I can't think of it. But the two men that disappeared on that fateful day in 1953. And they sent out a search for these men, and they never found him on Lake Superior. And they claimed, the government then claimed, well, they ran into a transport, a Canadian transport plane years later, and they found wreckage. And... The Canadians' government said, we never had a transport plane, so what are you saying? <laughs> and then all these other UFO investigators, Major Kehoe, 
who was a well-known investigator in the 50s, got involved in 60s, and they felt that this was a cover-up. So I meet, you know, Gord Heath. I talk to him, and he starts to tell me the story of what he believes to be the truth of what happened in the Kinross incident. The Kinross incident is, again, they spot something. You know, they were very worried about protecting the Sioux locks because that was a shipping channel, and they were worried that the Russians, if there was going to be a nuclear war, that would be one of the places they would attack. I don't know if it would be a major place. You would think there'd be other places, but... So they tried to protect it as much as possible, and we had, like... Uh, at least two air bases, if not more, in Upper Michigan that were protecting different things. And it happened to be that Eugene Monkla and Robert, I can't think of his name right now, they were from Madison, and they got the uh, Air Force in Madison. They were stationed in at the uh, base down there and because somebody was leave they had shipped Moncla and his radar operator to Kidross and they just happened to be the ones on call when the when the call came in that there was a mysterious object that they weren't sure what it was and they needed to go investigate so just by luck if you want to call it that Moncla and uh, Robert Williams, I don't think that was his name, but they were sent out. And back then, you, you didn't have a co-pilot as much as you had a radar operator, and maybe a co-pilot also served as a co-pilot, but this person was keeping track of it. So they went up to intercept whatever this was, and they never were seen again after that. And then if I, you know, I believe what Gord Heath told me, he, early on in his life, felt there was more to this story and he started to have memories of this of being Eugene Moncla he started to remember what his place looked like in Madison and he actually went to Madison and he knew where this place was located he also started to have memories of Moncla's family he also had memories of we- of meeting the radar operator when he was three years old and this radar operator told him he had to remember. Now, the radar operator, Robert, supposedly died with Moncla in 1953, yet it was in 1956 when Gord's family was visiting Upper Michigan, and I believe they were in the Munising area, but maybe it was west of there. But he was playing in the dunes, and... He got separated from his family a little bit, and that's when he met this Robert, Neva, the the radar operator, Robert Wilson. I think that was his name, Wilson. And Wilson talked to him for several minutes and told him to remember who he was. Now, why would that be so important? And... Shortly after that, Wilson disappeared, and his family was worried about Cord, and they found him, and he tried to tell them that he had been talking to a man, and they didn't believe him. And he had vague memories of being here, but he seemed to remember that. Well, as the story goes on, Gord seems to remember a lot of what happened. 
whether it's true or not, whether he's just all false memory or he's making it up. I don't believe he was making it up when we did the interview. But he claims he found the, dag ta the dog tags of both Moncla and Wilson in his parents' bedroom. They would leave, and he, we were not allowed to go in the bedroom, but he was curious, and he went in there and found them, and he got in a lot of trouble when the parents found out. Yet years later, they, they would act like they don't remember any of that. And he also talked about his father, who he didn't have a great connection with, but on the, when his father was dying, and they went to the hospital, his father was trying to tell him something, that, that he wasn't his son, so to speak, that he was someone else. And it's just really strange. It's a big mystery. And again, the mother at the time was fascinated, and then she totally denied that it ever happened, that it went down that way. Funny how things are. So if I'm to believe Gord Heath, he was Eugene Moncla, and this is a bit of a stretch, but why not? And him and Robert Wilson went to intercept that UFO that was over Lake Superior, and they got a, brought into, lifted, if you will, into, and this is what they suggested on that Alaska Triangle show the other night, that maybe the plane got absorbed or pulled into this UFO. But Gord, or but you, Robert Moncla, or Eugene Moncla and Robert Wilson, their plane was taken aboard this craft, and they were given a choice that they would go with these beings, but they couldn't return to Earth. And as I remember, Gord told me that if they allowed them to return to Earth, they would have been thrown in jail because the government would have would have not allowed it. They wouldn't want people coming forward to talk about this. So it's, And Eugene had expressed that he wanted to go see his family again. And Robert Wilson apparently didn't care. He must have not had anyone, or I don't know. But according to Gord, he remembers that conversation. And he was told the only way you can do that is if you leave your body and you're born into another one. That's the only way we're going to let you go back. Otherwise, we can't for your own safety. So he recalls, and again, seems like it's hard to believe, but he recalls being in this, uh, I don't know, it was some kind of contraption where he saw his mother on board this UFO, and he was in this device that was filling up with some kind of liquid, and he knew that he was no longer going to continue as Eugene Moncla, and that he would soon become someone else. And as this device filled up, his body left, he claims, left, his soul left the body of Eugene Moncla and entered into his woman's, his mother's stomach, into an, a newborn baby. And he almost makes it sound like his father was not the father, his earth father was not the father of this child, that this was somehow some kind of alien <laughs> thing that allowed his mother to become pregnant. And this was done so that Eugene Moncla could get his wish of returning to Earth. And I'm sure I lost a lot of you right there. But I think it's possible. 
So once he was, he was actually born, Gord Heath was born nine months later than um, after this incident took place. He was born nine months later. So coincidence. And he said early on there was UFOs around them. Her mom would see him. They lived in Canada, I think over towards Vancouver. Maybe not that far over. Maybe that's where he wound up. I think it was somewhere closer by. Because um, they had taken a trip to Upper Michigan when he was three. And it wasn't that far of a drive. So somewhere in Canada, central Canada, I believe. But eventually, Gord wound up in Vancouver. But he recalled, started to remember things as a child that there's no way he should remember and certain phrases, certain things piqued his interest. And down the road, he went to meet the Moncla family. And he told them he thought he was Eugene. And the mother of Eugene Moncla believed it was possible. And he knew some things about the sister who lived in Colorado that there's no way he would know certain conversations. And I believe it was a cousin or a brother of Eugene that stated, I really believe you could be my brother or relative. So those are all things that, that Gord shared with me. Now, sadly, George ha- uh, Gord has moved into dementia, and I've tried to contact him. And from what I, the word I got from his sister that he just wasn't doing very well. So you wonder what his story was all about, you know? Maybe it's for me to tell the story again so that somewhere somebody connects with it. And if not, at least it's known that maybe these kind of things were going on. Why did this happen? And I believe the beings that taken him were not aggressive beings, and they merely were defending themselves. And maybe it was even a program to get our military to travel and interact with these beings. Maybe that was part of it. We used an excuse to go chase after them, but really it was part of, they talked about that there was a project, Now I don't think it was going on in the 50s. Supposedly there was a project in the 60s that we took, they took 12 of our people and they sent them to a, a place and we took 12 of their people and they stayed, and maybe it was more than 12, but they stayed at this place for several years, and then they eventually returned back home. It was like swapping, so we could gain something about them and vice versa. So I'm not saying necessarily that was the case, but I believe that, you know, if you listen to Frank Fraschino, and when I've talked to him about the Flatwoods Monster, these craft were just trying to defend themselves because they were under attack, but they really we're here to keep an eye on us because they didn't want us to destroy the planet, nor would they allow us to do that. After World War II, when we dropped the atomic bombs, they started coming around more. And I believe there is a galactic federation which oversees space, certain parts of space, and they're more advanced and they they keep an eye on civilizations like ours because civilizations like ours are becoming more advanced and we could destroy ourselves many times over. And if we destroy our planet, it will have an effect in not just the solar system, but in our galaxy. So who's to say that these beings, 
it's kind of like Star Trek. And it's like, no, I don't watch too many Star Trek episodes and starting to think that that's all true. <laughs> I'm just connecting dots. And I could be wrong on all of this. I'm not one of those who wants to look at everything. Oh, I saw it on Star Trek. It's going to be real. No. Oh, I saw it on this. It's like, no, I just think of all the conversations I've had and how they connect, just like I did with Joe, who was in the other day cutting a commercial. We got to talking about Terry. It's like, wow, wow, wow. It's like, how many other people come forward in your life and are there to maybe nudge you or get you back on that track? Start thinking about it or talking about it. I know when Joe left the studio, he said, I want to learn more about this, TJ. And I was going to send him to my website, but then again, I thought, well, I don't know if he'd be open to some of the things that are on my website. There's a lot of things I talk about on my podcast site. You know, if you have a certain belief and you belong to a certain religion or whatever, then maybe some of these things might not, you know, when I talk about reincarnation, which is basically what happened to Gord he was put into another body so Eugene could someday return to his family. They didn't promise, they didn't promise exactly how he would do that. But if, the, if you believe what Gord truly believes in his heart, that he was given the opportunity and he did make a connection with these people. And he's lived with this mystery his whole life and not quite understanding it. But we had a three-hour conversation. And he didn't talk with many people about this because he went public with it years ago and was kind of met with a lot of disbelief and people made fun of him. And so the reason he talked to me and did an interview with me was because I was from Upper Michigan. And I think he just felt he could trust me. But also, I'm gonna talk to the guy that actually lives up there, which was me. And that's what he did. And so I'm glad he shared that with me because it's one of the most fascinating stories that I've ever heard about potential for someone who may have been, you know, nothing's by accident, I don't believe. And we all choose what we want, role we want to play in life and what we want to experience. And often people that are drawn into something maybe experienced it in another time. So I would say that Gord Heath, if he truly, truly did choose to be the reincarnated Eugene Monkla, that this was an agreement that they made before Gord even came here. And maybe they've had interactions with alien beings in other lifetimes. I don't know. I'm just, I just see the patterns. And that's what I've noticed with myself and with many others, that we follow a course and nothing is by accident. I've had this conversation recently with a couple of different people. I made a really good dis discovery of somebody that I think is a part of my part of my soul journey and we talked for like four and a half hours five hours a couple of Sundays ago and this person is a psychic he'll be on my show pretty soon but I remember with him and recently my session with um, Joe and my co-worker and we talked about loss and how how can it's so horrible how these things happen. And I said again, like I always say, that it's by choice. 
And because people wonder, well, if there's a deity or a God or a being, why would this being allow that? Why would this go on? And I think because it allows it to go on, allows us to make the choice. And I look at people, every lesson that's ever happened, every bad thing where somebody, like I've lost loved ones, is I step away from it and I look at it. It really was a powerful, wonderful blessing and lesson that I could learn from. And you say, what can you learn from something like that? And it's like you learn to let go because you don't possess or own anybody. They are going to be of their own free choice, regardless of who you think they are in your life. And if you believe in reincarnation, then they're going to come back and play different roles. Or you may not, next time around, you may not be with them. And some of you are saddened by that thought, like I used to be a while ago. But I don't see it that way now because we have to accept that everybody's on their own journey. We want to control them and say, well, this is part of my life. This is my loved one and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, if you truly love, if you understand what love is in my perspective, which totally could be wrong, but if you understand, then it's about letting go and allowing them to be and allowing them to go on. Wouldn't you rather let them go on their journey than hogging them all to yourself? <laughs> so I look at it and I think to myself and I say, everybody's got their own journey and the people I love the most in this lifetime are going to move on and I'm going to move on and I have to let go of that and I can because I did it with my parents and it was a wonderful blessing and both of them came back and visited me I truly believe and they've comforted me and assured me and then there's also been many animal signs that have supported that so it just backs up what I believe that we all go on and we've experienced many many lifetimes and the journey, we have different people that show up in it and are a part of it. Some play a bigger role than others. And when the time is right, you'll meet someone like like I did the other day. Uh, I met a person who I really, f we both felt right away that we're on this path together. And this was an important part of our puzzle. What that remains to be, I guess we'll see. But we both had a very open-minded conversation. We talked about everything there is, and we were both were on board. It's like we both understood, and there's very few people that I've been able to sit down and do that with because there are so many things that I believe in and are open to, at least, and most people, you'll kind of lose them after a while, and they go, what? You know, and, and there's things that I hear that make me go, what? It's like, but after I've had time to absorb them and hear some other people talk about it, whether I know them or not, then it becomes something that's more possible. Here's a good example. There was a show which I started watching recently a little bit, and they just started showing this called The Alaskan Triangle. And the show I was watching the other day was about these giants that lived in Alaska that they estimate were between 12 and 20 feet tall. And they say the natives were very worried about these giants because they would kill and eat humans. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. And then they found evidence in those certain areas in Alaska of huge beings that could have been very tall, these bones. But every time they, they tried to document this, the bones would disappear. And they had 
I don't know if it was Smithsonian came out there and they found this huge skull and, and then the skull disappeared years later. And then there was reports of uh, just many different things. And it's funny how the evidence always disappears and then it's forgotten in history. And I think it's good to remember the truth, the real truth about our history. And maybe that's why I bring some of this up. Um, what happened in 1981, I don't know. Maybe the truth will be revealed if we have disclosure or greater awareness or maybe with a psychic friend I can find some things that might point. Can't guarantee 100% that anything you do with a psychic is 100% accurate, but maybe, I guess we'll have to see. Maybe that'll be a question I'll bring up in the near future. And then also the question I'd like to find about Gord Heath if that's an accurate portrayal. And then there are many other things. But it's funny how something will jolt you back into thinking about something maybe that I'd forgotten about for years. And then it's like, boom, I'm transported back to the time. And you know, none of this happens by accident, does it? No. Everything that, if we just pay attention, I think everything is trying to tell us something I'm just fortunate that I can remember these things. <laughs> Maybe as I continue to get older, I won't. But I have a good memory. And it goes back to early childhood. Now, don't expect me to remember math equations that I learned in school, because those are, those are gone. Or certain things I learned. But there are some subjects that fascinate me and always have. Not so much biology. Not so much uh, advanced mathematics. But history, unknown, things like that. I seem to have a really good memory for those conversations, especially that I had years and years ago. And I can still remember clearly what was said. Yet if you ask me what I watched on TV a week ago, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Short-term memory, I think that's what it is. Uh, some people say we experience that as we're going through these great uh, shifts of energy that are taking place on the planet, and it's affecting all of us. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe there's some truth in that. Anyway, forthcoming shows, I do expect to get uh, Reverend Dr. Phil on and maybe Frank. I have some questions I want to talk about with them. And then my friend who is uh, that I just connected with, this person from Australia, which will leave his name out of it for now, but he plans on coming on with me and doing a show. He's a psychic medium healer, and he's become this close connection. It's funny how that is, you know, just boom, like that. You make a connection with somebody, and you're just on the same level, which I would call the same vibration, and you know it. You know, I'm sure all of you have done that, made a connection with somebody, right? And you just instantly knew it's like you've known this person from another time, which I believe you did. <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, yeah. If you feel that way, then you probably did know them from another time. It's kind of a cool mystery, and I love to uh, delve into it. And whether or not we gain any knowledge while we're here in the physical form, we certainly will know once we get beyond here. And that's something that we concluded when, my, when I was talking to Joe and my coworker that will definitely know once we get to the next place. So just thought I'd talk about that a little bit. It's fascinating. Maybe somebody knows something about this. 
these incidents and would like to share with me, and I'd love to hear about it if you want. And you can do it discreetly, or you can, whatever, you be a guest if you want. Or you can just say, no, I don't want to get involved, but I'd like to tell you this. If you ever want to share something, you can do it anonymously. And who knows, maybe it opens the door for someone else. And that's what I think, that's what this show is all about, is putting the little pieces together so that maybe it forms a bigger picture. And I don't ask you to believe anything I say. Always use your own discretion. Trust your own inner guidance. I am not trying to change anybody. Be whatever you are. Follow whatever your course is. Namaste. Blessings. Love. Joy. Joy.